This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello, everyone. This is Carlos Ponce at Mirsoft. Somewhere in Mexico, I'm about to take my little uh, Easter break. And uh, we are hosting today's uh, Dojo Live session. Uh, and for that purpose, we also have our my fellow teammate, Tulio Siragusa in LA. Hi, Tulio. Hey, everyone. As Welcome ever, thank you, thank you so much for being here, Tulio. And also, we have Clement Ronzon, our, my fellow teammate uh, in our Hermosillo office. How are you doing? Fine, it's thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here, Clement. It's been a long time. I appreciate that, uh, your willingness to join us in such a short notice, okay? Yep. And last but not least, I would like to introduce our guest today. Uh, we are going to be having a conversation with Mr. Robert Reeve. He is uh, the managing director of Twind Power in Canada. And uh, we're going to be uh, talking about IoT and I IOTAs, also what it's uh, known as IOTAs. So he'll tell us more about that. He's the expert. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest, Robert Reed. Robert, welcome to the show. And it's a pleasure and an honor to have you here on this craziness called Dojo Live. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. OK. Robert, so I would like to start off by asking you just a couple of things. Tell us a little bit about you and tell us about your company. Where do you, you know, your background pretty much for the audience and then the company, and then we'll move on to today's chosen topic. That should be interesting. All Thank right. you. Well, quickly, I, I started off as a, a programmer in the uh, very early PC world of uh, DBase and DBase 2, DBase 3 and Clipper compilers uh, working on what we call today ERP systems and CRM systems. And, uh, and, and at night, I spent some time integrating networks in the customer's site and then installing our software on their, their sites. A lot of the shops we dealt with were small suppliers to the auto industry or they were in the distribution uh, business, uh, moving boxes. So that's how I got my start. I'm I consider myself a uh, an old Fortran warrior that turned into a Pascal warrior that turned into a Java warrior, and now I I live and breathe Python in the test world. So that's my programming background. The um, the journey I've taken has really been out of software into networking. Um, via Cisco. I was one of Cisco's first guys, uh, and in fact, their first field sales guy um, back in 89. So for English-speaking Canada, there was one other gentleman that was in French-speaking Canada, a gentleman by the name of uh, Michel Boisria, and the two of us actually opened up Cisco uh, in Canada. And uh, this was pre-IPO before the company was taken public. And I worked there for five years, learned quite a bit about routing and um, evolved and, and went into high speed networking with uh, four systems out of Pittsburgh. Did that for five years, uh, spent some time in Europe. And um, before all of that though, uh, I can say that I spent some time with Rockwell Allen Bradley working on uh, integrating old HP systems and DEC systems into uh, factory floor networking, uh, where we picked up the data from PLCs and what they call SLICs or SLCs uh, in the Allen Bradley Rockwell world and 
much of that had to do was picking up uh, SCADA information uh, from either job shop environments or continuous process environments. So I've got a pretty strong background in, in that area. And uh, hence, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So it's come full circle. And that um, over the years, uh, in just in the last four or five years, I've, I've moved away from um, just working with high tech companies and been more focused on uh, building uh, new off-grid energy stations. And now we finally come to market with those at Twin Power. So that's the, the short version of a very long journey. You brought me back uh, quite a bit of time in that journey. I, I started my career in 1989 right. in, uh, at MCI, working on nights on a network operations center. So. Okay, yep. yep. Yeah, MCI had a little bit of time uh, in Canada. They bought up UUNet and uh, some, yep. some of the guys I know in Toronto worked for MCI before it all blew up. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, I, I did spend some time, just geographically speaking, uh, a lot of the time I spent early in my career was in, in the Toronto area. And then I, I moved to Germany in the 90s. Uh, I, I, at the time, was married to a German person, and uh, we had a couple of children together. We lived in Germany for a while, and then we came back to Canada. And it was then when I started a company called Platespin, which eventually was sold to Novell uh, for a fair amount of money. Uh, for virtual machine provisioning. So I have a couple of patents in the virtual machine provisioning space and also in uh, some new uh, uh, high capacity factor wind turbines uh, that, that have just recently hit the market. So um, well, that's it's great to have It's great yeah. to have you as a guest. Uh, love yeah. to hear about what you're doing now, your company now. How did that come about? What are you guys are doing? What's unique? Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, the Twin Power is, um, is is the brand or marketing label of uh, that we use at, at Harvester. Harvester is my uh, my company where I've taken some investment money from uh, eight different angels around the world, uh, many of them whom I worked with in the past in the high tech space, and uh, we finally uh, have licensed our technology in the last couple of years to. Uh, uh, one company that's making clean power trailers out of Toronto, a company called Mobismart, uh, and just recently we licensed uh, into a much different type of wind turbine uh, technology, uh, what they call an acceleration tower, with a company called uh, V3 Wind in Dallas. So we've had um, some good good fortune in getting our intellectual property licensed, and I've been uh, the sole support person in terms of doing the uh, the CFD simulation uh, design work and the finite element analysis uh, design work, and I've also built the prototype for in the shop for Mobismart. So I have a um, a background I really didn't talk about earlier, but in, in high school I took all my shops. So whether it was a metal shop or whatever right uh, electrical etc so i have uh I, I took both streams in high school both the technical streams and the academic stream all right so what you're saying is anyone who's uh, in high school watching this and wondering what the heck am i going to do with this uh, shop experience it might actually come in handy someday yeah you know today the shop world is uh changing and 3d printing rules the roost in in a lot of that 
space. And uh, that was one of the things we actually used in building the MOBA Smart system. Uh, among that, we also used uh, laser cutters and um, some very interesting um, uh, molding techniques. And uh, we used some old fashioned uh, aircraft techniques in terms of building the, the first rotors in a prototype sense, uh, just to, to make sure it all hung together in a geometric way. So yes, my recommendation to anybody uh, is that um, take a look at the shops first before you do anything, <laughs> because having that background is invaluable. Everything revolves around uh, the, the shops and, and building stuff. Uh, what, so if you're building information systems in the, the world, the Main Street world, you, you really need to understand how manufacturing works and how distribution works, et cetera, uh, before you can intelligently yeah. write anything uh, in the software world that helps those people get their job done. Well, we're and, also in the embedded world now, right? You know, software and hardware. Well, yeah. You know, the so embedded world is, uh, for me, um, uh, some people thought that SCADA was dead a long time ago, but it's even more important now as it ties itself into these things called distributed public ledgers. And in, in, at, at IOTA, which is a German foundation, um, it's a very interesting company because they, they don't have the um, requirement for mining, yet they do use proof of work where any net new transaction that comes into the, the network has to first approve two previous transactions to be attached to the distributed ledger. And uh, means it's very fast and it's, uh, scalability is linear. So it doesn't have the problems of uh, um, this von Neumann model that the blockchain folks use in Bitcoin and Ethereum, which is sequential and slow and it'll never scale and they can do all the database sharding and um, side chains they want, but it's, it's, it's never going to work properly in terms of scaling for uh, microtransactions in the world of IoT, where you have billions of devices out there today. Uh, everybody talks about, oh, there's going to be billions of devices connected to the network. and says, well, they're already connected. They just use all these proprietary gateways uh, that are sold to you at great expense. Uh, by vendors like Schneider. Uh, you're from France, you know who Schneider is. Uh, and Rockwell yep. and all these companies that charge an arm and a leg for their SCADA systems and their uh, factory floor systems. Uh, that, that world is about to be, uh, uh, and is being put uh, on its back heels as the bigger companies in, in uh, Europe, especially in France and Germany and the Nordics are moving to uh, IOTA uh, for all their proof of concepts. Um, they're winning all the all the proof of concepts. So it's very interesting what's going on in the so-called IoT fog and mist uh, segments of the market uh, in this shift to using distributed uh, ledgers, both in a private sense with Hyperledger from IBM, um, uh, I shouldn't say from IBM, but IBM promotes it a lot, and also with IOTA in the public ledger sense. Uh, hey, Carlos, remind us what the topic of choice was today, if you don't mind. I, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I didn't want to step into the conversation no, because no, it was sure. getting too, way, way, way too exciting. It's fine to remind us of the guests. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Robert, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why you chose this particular topic. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, uh, you told us that you were going to be speaking about integrating SCADA IoT applications into IOTA's scalable distributed public ledger, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so tell, why did you choose this particular topic, Robert? Well, it's um, as, as I alluded to earlier before you came online uh, on air, the thing about um, distributed public ledgers that people don't really get right at the moment is that they replace a lot of accountants and lawyers. And they, they, they can be trusted in the sense that it's machine-to-machine -machine communication, so there's no need for human interaction uh, when one machine settles with another machine in terms of sending its data and getting a confirmation back and then posting it to an immutable data store where no one can touch it and change it. And that basic premise means that you can do things like settlement between organizations in a very automated way and even include an administrative layer over top of it uh, as well if you need to so that it's not totally in the control of the machines, you still have a way to insert yourself in that process. When I say that, that's where a lot of the operational cost savings are. And I'll use the utility business, which I know fairly well, and that there's, um, if you are selling electricity to the grid with your energy system, uh, you need to settle your receipts with the independent service operator. And what invariably happens is instead of getting your money after you've delivered the energy to the grid, that the end of the month, uh, they sum it all up and says you delivered so much energy to the, to the grid this month and, and your receipt looks like this. Um, well, what happens is you get accounts involved on both sides and it goes back and forth literally 15, 20, 30, 45 days before you actually get your money. So it slows down the velocity of money and that because that transaction takes so long because people don't believe the data. They have to check the data. Um, and it's because the data is, is uh, managed by people. So it's the power company with their creative accountants sending their uh, their version of what they thought they produced to the independent service operator. And then there's the independent service operator's accountants going, well, we're not so sure we believe that. And as a result, the, the flow of, of, of uh, money, the velocity of money between the two parties slows dramatically. And that can really hurt your working capital position if you're a small independent power producer because of these, the shenanigans that goes on between accounting departments. So distributed public ledger solves that problem. How big of a problem is that? And, and how it's do universally uh, across the world, the biggest problem in the power industry. And, okay, so, so why wouldn't anyone want to adopt this? What's the challenge with adoption? Are you seeing some pushback and why? Well, the, the distributed public ledgers are new. Um, in the sense of using them for not just a store of value, but also for uh, transactions. And the earlier 
early blockchain versions of these things, Bitcoin being the genesis of everything with their blockchain, and then Ethereum, which has come on and added smart contracts, and some others that have jumped into it, uh, like Tron um, and, and others. NEM is another one that I think about. The problem with them, uh, this sequential blockchain world is the transactions per second. And it can take minutes, hours, days, even weeks to settle a transaction, depending on the nature of the transaction and, uh, uh, and how that blockchain system is reaching consensus. Is it a proof of work system? Okay, well then the miners get to work and away you go and your settlement times might vary from a couple of minutes uh, to hours, or uh, you may use a proof of share model where the transactions will happen fast like EOS, but it's people who are in control of it. And you're at the mercy of whoever's got the most amount of money in terms of their proof of share as, as, as to those people running that proof of share consensus to, to actually create um, uh, the the um, the rewards and allow that transaction to be attached to the uh, distributed public ledger. So it's the world is is evolving, and it's only recently that IOTA has been able to prove that their technology scales. They're just they have been using a centralized coordinator, which worries a lot of people uh, because it's a single point of failure, and they just recently announced their test network without. Uh, those types of capabilities uh, in terms of centralized control. So the world is changing to the point where now the distributed public ledgers are really close to being viable for things like the power industry. Um, maybe in a couple of years we'll actually be there. I think it's going to be two or three years before people will commit to an automatic settlement mechanism where there is no delay in selling the receipts with as far as the independent service operator is concerned, paying the independent power producer for the energy produced. So it's it's coming. Well, it sounds like you're solving a pretty big problem that also impacts the consumers. I'm interested in getting some questions. Uh, I think there's a few from the audience and sure. co-host coming on. Please don't mute yourself. I did mute you before because it was playing a little trick with the screen. <laughs> Um, but please go ahead and ask some questions. Yeah, I, I have a question regarding IOTA. Is it is it how you pronounce it? IOTA. Yeah. IOTA. So oh. it, so I've, I've read about it's a, it's a protocol, right? Well, it's it's um, multiple protocols actually. There's the the, the currency itself, um, which behaves just like any other cryptocurrency in the sense that you have a wallet. Uh, it, it is different from many in that all the all the coins that are wherever going to be produced have been produced. So there's there's no mining required, and you can use the IOTA currency to settle transactions today uh, and transfer money between a, a, your wallet and somebody else's wallet in a peer-to-peer -peer sense today. You don't have to go through an exchange. That said, it is on an exchange and is traded on multiple exchanges. So. It's it's very similar in that regard. Uh, what differs it differ, IOTA differs from virtually every other uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain play in that it is a linear scalable technology that uses what they call a directed, a cyclic graph 
Well, if you're a database guy, you know what that is, a DAG. So it's just essentially a tree that goes in one direction. And, um, and it's able to support immutable and mutable uh, storage of data. In, in the, the IOTA node, the IOTA node communicates with all the other nodes in a distributed fashion, but the approval today of the transactions is still managed by the central coordinator uh, to ensure the safety of the transactions. That's about to be removed just generally. I, I suspect it will happen uh, this year. And you'll see many more companies adopt them beyond Volkswagen and Bosch and Audi and Fujitsu Germany, et cetera. There's a lot of big companies working on IOTA today. Um, most of them are European. Um, and this is not well understood in North America. They, they think the sun rises and sets out of the Bitcoin's uh, rear end, if you like. And that's just not the case when it comes to IoT, especially in uh, Europe. So um, I think that the thing that you have to remember, it is a protocol. There's basically four sets of protocols that run in the node. And one of them is a peer-to-peer -peer communications protocol, which is free. And uh, there are services that have been built on top of that, like chat services that allow you to chat peer-to-peer -peer anywhere in the world across the IOTA uh, a set of nodes uh, in the public uh, distributed block chain, as, as some people call it, but distributed public ledger is more correct. And uh, so that means you can literally communicate to anybody around the world uh, using it. Now, there are some companies that have actually built peer-to-peer -peer, um, uh, video conferencing systems over top of IOTA. Uh, in Holland, for instance, there are also some companies in Holland and Germany, also in the Nordics, and also in France that have... Uh, invented some new systems on top of IOTA that uh, make, make it possible to uh, use bio uh, security systems. So I think particularly in Switzerland, there's one called IM Pass, and uh, that's caught on like wildfire and makes a lot of sense for biometric access in the data centers, et cetera. But not just that, uh, for many other things. Uh, so it's, it's an exciting time right now at IOTA, and uh, I don't work for the IOTA Foundation. I'm just looking to use their nodes in our energy stations and host the nodes in the energy stations and have our SCADA data move from the SCADA controller as an Oracle interface into the distributed blockchain. So we can post our data uh, onto either a private side chain, which we use internally, uh, and, and where there's a, a regulatory reporting requirement in the public sense for safety and security, and also with the independent service operators when they wanna know how much power is produced, we can also publish the data directly from the energy station with no human intervention to the public blockchain um, or IOTA distributed public ledger as, as people uh, will soon find that's the correct term to use for these, these systems. So it's exciting times and uh, we use a, uh, there's, there's a protocol called MAMS, just to answer the protocol question, that allows that peer-to-peer -peer protocol to work between anything. So you can literally add it into an app, a server, a SCADA controller, whatever it is you want, uh, make it a part of an FPGA or ASIC implementation, and away you go. Um, 
Today, they take their ternary math, which is sometimes called trinary. So forget about binary, zeros and ones. In the IDA world, everything works in trinary. Uh, I'll use that term. That's really ternary is the correct term. But the uh, that means you've got plus one, zero, and minus one. And that also means that when you do calculations, you can store massively larger numbers with much greater precision. But even more importantly, you can save yourself 35 to 65% in terms of power consumption uh, by building a trinary or ternary FPGA or ASIC. Now, today, nobody does that. They, they have conversion tools that take it from their high-level language, which is called Cupla, which is a scripting language. And then there's a converter that takes it down to an intermediate language called Abra. And then that Abra language can be sent uh, via Verilog to the FPGA or to the ASIC. And, and that's currently in process right today. And one of the bigger players doing that is Bosch. Um, if you don't know who Bosch is, Robert Bosch is 300,000 person strong company who's leading the way in terms of IoT access. I, I have a question that something sparked up a question. You were talking about energy consumption or reducing energy consumption. Yes. And there's a couple of big players like Google and others. I mean, their, their energy consumption is massive. Yes. What are some of the key target clients that could really that should probably implement this like now, in your opinion? Well, yes, you have to look at this sector by sector, but um, I think anybody who's um, in the utility space knows there's meters all over the place, measuring power in, the, in your residences and so-called smart meters. And there's a cost to operating smart meters, which gets passed on to the ratepayer. And there's definitely an opportunity for those guys who are in the smart meter space to adopt this right away and, and, and really improve their own margins, reduce the cost of their equipment, and downstream even see a slight reduction to, uh, for the people that are paying the power bills, the rate payers. So there's definitely a, an opportunity right away in that space uh, for people to wake up there. In the automobile space, Volkswagen and Audi and now BMW are all over this. Um, and they've been working very closely with IOTA for the last two years in terms of machine-to-machine machine machine transactions, which ties into electric vehicle charging systems. So they're way ahead in, in that. And they've, they've already deployed systems in Holland with ELAD, one of the power utilities. Um, offering electrical charging stations in in Holland uh, and have demonstrated that you can literally roll up, plug your car in, the machines do all the transactions you're done and it all works with, uh, it, with the car interface to your mobile phone. And you don't do anything, you just roll up, plug it in, when you're done, you're done and you get going. Wow. And, it's, and the transaction happens. And, that, that, and those, those types of applications clearly highlight the how this is going to impact the everyday person out, out in the real world, world, right? So I paid my power bill and I can charge my car really quickly. And I don't have to fart around at the cashier 
these things can be out in the middle of nowhere, completely unmanned, and uh, just works. So I, have, I have to say this chat's turning to a very good educational uh, conversation yeah. too. You know, yeah. time always, we're always against time and, and sure. we're coming up on time, but I do want to open it up if there's any additional questions or pending questions from the audience. I think, Carlos, you had one or two. We're kind of coming up on time, but um, if there's any questions, just want to open that up and, you know, we'll give it a second. Well, we, we have one question from one of our guys, actually, inter internally, but uh, besides Clement. So, but, but Clement, do you want to go ahead? Do you have anything else for Robert before we go? Uh, no, go ahead. Well, uh, this question came from Sandra, by the way, uh, one of our marketing uh, team members. Mm -hmm. uh, hold on one second. Slack, here, here it is. She says, who are, you, who are your customers? Who are your clients? And how are they best served by your offering? So this is more of an open-ended question. Right. But, uh, yeah. So with energy stations, um, this thing called IPP, which is independent power producer. Mm -hmm. These are the people that negotiate um, per, uh, power purchase agreements with the independent uh, service operator. So in the, in the, now who is an independent power producer? Well, one of the big ones uh, are def, definitely could be and should be the mobile operators, but today they aren't. Um, as they try to rule out 5G, they're going to have a real problem on their hands because 5G's reach is only 300 meters, and many of their towers are kilometers apart. So it's not just as easy as adding 5G to their existing tower. They won't have any coverage. Um, so in order to get the coverage, they have to have these things spaced uh, 500 meters apart in high-density areas to get high-speed 5G to work. Now, how are you going to do that? You're going to call your power company and have him hook up every bloody tower that you've got? I don't think so. So this is where the off-grid opportunity to just do a drop-in-place solution, and it just works. doesn't need to be hooked up to the grid. Um, that, that's a very big opportunity for us uh, as the market for 5G opens up. So very early days right now, but that's one of the markets we're targeting. The other market we target is, is uh, remote sites that just have no possibility of getting power from the grid. And today those are run by diesel generators. Because carbon taxes have uh, hit many uh, countries, including Canada where I'm at, um, and in many, uh, all across Europe, you pay a penalty for running diesel. And uh, that is really starting to have its effect uh, in the, the marketplace for off-grid power generation. And it's only just recently that the battery systems have been uh, cheap enough to be coupled with uh, solar and wind to make off-grid clean power systems possible. So that, that's... Uh, that's an exciting time, and, and the, the, it's not lithium that's leading the way, the way everybody thinks. It's not Tesla in off-grid. It's actually our companies like Nant Energy in Los Angeles. Uh, it's companies like Vision in Columbia Falls, Montana, who make zinc air batteries. And zinc air batteries are already sitting at, with Nant Energy, 
uh, $100 per kilowatt hour. So when you combine $100 per kilowatt hour with wind and solar, it can compete very easily with diesel. And that's just happened in the last year. Wow. Well, really appreciate having you. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We're sure. over time. I have one last question we, all, we often ask our guests. Sure. If you just keep it short. Um, you know, you obviously taken on a big challenge and a big opportunity. Any words of wisdom, anyone sitting sort of on the fence about wanting to go down this path of starting something new, taking on the challenge of literally changing the world? Any words of wisdom you'd like to share with them? Yes. Um, if you're founders and you have, uh, there's two or three or four of you starting a new company, you all need to sign what I call a, um, a private agreement that says we're all going to vote the same way so that you can avoid the VCs splitting you apart and taking your company from you. So that's, 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 great that's, advice. that's a very important thing to get in place if there's more than one of you. If you're a benevolent dictator, then it's not an issue. But normally startups have two or three people. Make sure you're all on the same page. It's what they call a pooling of interest agreement. So you should always have a pooling of interest agreement between the original founders that says no matter how much we hate each other, we're still going to vote the same to keep the VCs from splitting us. Uh, that's really good words of advice. I think that would have served me well in my first startup. Huh? It would have done the same for my late spin. But, uh, well, really appreciate the time you've spent with us. For those sure. watching, you'll be able to go to the landing page. We'll provide links to whatever you want to learn. If you want, if they want to connect with you, we'll make sure we have that in place on nearsoft.dojo.com. Great to have you. We look forward to next week. Who's coming up next week on our, as our guest, uh, Carlos? Next week, we're going to have uh, 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 Mr. Gilad Salamander the, from eClincher. That's going to be eClincher. That is correct. That's the name of the company. We don't have, uh, unfortunately, we don't have the topic in the tagline yet, He's, but it'll be up there on the website like really soon. So keep an eye on dojo.nearsoft. Com and of course also our, our social networks it's all going to be in there so follow us and keep uh, be on the lookout for our next uh, guest and his chosen topic that's Gilad Salamander from eClincher and that's all I have Tulio thank you for joining us everyone and have a wonderful rest of your day thank you thank have you. a great day thank you thank you uh, Robert and thank you Clement thanks bye see you, see you next time bye bye Talk to you bye bye Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.